Welcome to Claim the Stage, a podcast for women who want to discover, awaken, and create their voice through the art of public speaking. I'm your host, Angela Lucier, award-winning professional speaker, author, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. You're listening to the Guest Mentors five-part summer series. This is an opportunity for you to learn from women who are, first and foremost, professional speakers, but they're also authors, speaker coaches, and seasoned business owners. You'll learn about their mindset shifts, challenges, systems, advice for new speakers, pricing tips, and so much more. This series is full of inspiring personal stories, entertaining experiences on stage, and expert advice. Plus, all of these women are super cool. I want to hang out with everyone and make cookies and ride bikes. So you have that to look forward to. The Guest Mentors five-part summer series is sponsored by Speaking School for Women, my signature online course that teaches you how to become a paid professional speaker in six weeks or less. Learn branding, marketing, speech craft, pricing, pitching, and so much more. Now until August 31st, get 20% off using promo code SUMMER20 at checkout. Learn more at speakersisterhood.thinkific.com. Link is in the show notes. This series is also sponsored by Told Video, original, thoughtful storytelling for your brand. Here to help you with your next step in speaker marketing, a meaningful video. Let your story out into the world and get it told. Follow Told Video on Instagram at Told Video for flash sales and discounts announced monthly. In today's episode, you'll hear from guest mentor Lois Creamer. Lois is a recognized industry expert working with speakers who want to book more business, make more money, and fully monetize their intellectual property. She's the author of Book More Business, Make Money Speaking. Coming soon is her new book, co-authored with Kathy Fiock, the speaker author, How to Use Books to Sell Speaking and How to Use Speaking to Sell Books. Clients include Chicken Soup's Jack Canfield, best-selling author of The Sales Bible, Jeffrey Gittimer, and presentation guru, Patricia Fripp. Lois's expertise and no-nonsense style has led her to be invited to speak at over a dozen National Speakers Association annual meetings, winter meetings, and chapters. She has also presented at Canadian Association of Professional Speakers conventions and chapters, as well as Global Speakers Association events. Lois works with speakers in the areas of positioning, selling, social strategies, and product creation. Prior to Book More Business, she managed a speaker business, as well as working in sales and marketing for the United States Steel Corporation. Without further ado, my interview with Lois Creamer. Lois Creamer, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Angela. I'm happy to be here. This is a very exciting moment as you are looked at as such a legend in the speaking industry and so many people look up to you. And I know Amber Hurdle, who is also being featured in this special series, talked about you during our interview and she said such nice things to say. And I've, I feel the same way. So I'm excited to hear your advice and more of your story and just share more of what you have to say on today's episode. Well, thank you. Amber is a friend of mine, and I pay her well to say nice things. And you are my new friend, so I'm really happy to be with you, Angela. 
Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, you're welcome. So before we jump into your advice and knowledge on the subject of speaking, I'd love to hear your story about how you got into this field. Totally by accident. It is a really kind of a nutty story. I was working in corporate in sales and marketing for a Fortune 10 company right out of college. And I was one of the few women at the time. I called it the wingtip convention and me. And it's like men and wingtips and me and not wingtips. And my husband and I were on a list to adopt. And I got a call that the baby we had been waiting years for had come. So I left at noon and never looked back. And I stayed home a number of years with my baby, who is now grown, and enjoyed staying at home. And But I knew that I would be looking to do something later. I knew I couldn't get away with never working, Angela. So I got a call from a professional speaker here in St. Louis. And he said he was in an office suites, like an, an entrepreneurial incubator, if you will, back then. And he said, I'm looking for somebody to do sales and marketing for me in my business. And your friend who has an office next door said, call Lois, maybe she's ready to go back to work. So I said, interesting, professional speaking, I've never even heard of it as an industry or a business. And so we talked and he was looking for somebody full-time. And I said, you know what, I'm not your gal, but you sound so interesting and congratulations on your business, but I'm not a fit, but I wish you good luck. Click, goodbye. Ten minutes later, Angela, he called back and he said, would you have lunch with me? And I thought, oh, well, I did have lunch with him. And it was a good thing I did. His name was Shep Hyken. He's one of our past presidents of the National Speakers Association. And this was back in 1994. And I told Shep that I'd work between nine and three when my daughter was in school. I'd need a lot of time off. I'd need a flex schedule. He gave me all of that. He was ahead of his time, I think. And we just had a great run together. And the National Speakers Association invited me at three conventions to speak to employees of speakers on how to sell and manage and market speakers. So I did. And then I started thinking, I wonder if there could be a business in this for me. And in 98, I decided to try it. I I gave myself a year to make money. And if I wasn't making money, I'll go find somebody else to work for, like I've always done. And surprise, surprise, I've never looked back. So I'm 20 years down the road now, and I thoroughly enjoy what I do. What's your favorite part of this kind of work? I think that my favorite part is, you know, I like consulting a lot. The only speaking I do now, I used to do sales programs for corporate sales teams. The only speaking I do now is to groups of professional speakers. In fact, I'm heading up day after tomorrow to Canada. Canada has an association called the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. And I'm doing a program for their Montreal chapter and then hopping over to Toronto, doing a program for their Toronto chapter. Same thing I do around the States for, for the NSA chapters. But my favorite thing is consulting. I like taking someone's speech, someone's topic, and seeing how we can take it and make it really successful and they can make good money with it. That is the fun part of me, seeing somebody run with a good idea and a good strategy and be successful. Is there a process you go through with them to help them figure out what makes it interesting and what makes it profitable? There is. I mean, that's really what my business is about. My business is is really kind of a holistic approach 
to a speaking business, if a speaker needs that, I've worked with people who have jump-started speaking practice, who are experts in their industry. I do not write speeches. I'm not a presentation coach. I'm, all, I'm the person you come to when you have a speech and you can deliver it well. Then you come to me and I'll help you make money with it. I'll help you talk, find about where you should be talking, what target markets would make sense for you who have historically paid for the kind of information that you're talking about. So you're not running into dead ends all the time, how to leverage each speech into the next and how to repurpose speech information, how to really take your intellectual property and use a number of vehicles to drive it to the market. I I am a big believer in not calling people just speakers because my clients are intellectual property experts. And speaking is just one of the vehicles they use to drive that information to the market, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Do you find that you have to spend time on helping your speakers have a mindset shift to be able to think beyond the stage with their content? Absolutely. Especially those who really haven't done it yet and who just may be fearful of taking a step or unsure about how to do it. And the thing that, that I'll tell you, the thing a lot of my speakers find, it don't tell anybody this. It's not as it's not as hard as they think. You know, I was just I was just on a Facebook group and somebody said I said I was talking about repurposing. It might be the Facebook group you and I are in about repurposing information. And she said, what do you mean by repurposing? And I said, tape your speech, record your speech on a digital tape recorder you can get for ninety nine dollars or on your phone. Yeah. And then have it transcribed. And use that as an outline for a book. Start writing a blog immediately is one of the recommendations I give to people all the time. My book, I have a book that's been out called Book More Business, Make Money Speaking, that's been out two years now. And it was based on blog posts that I've been writing since 2009. Now, I had to obviously go back and revisit some of those because they weren't evergreen from 2009. but Anytime you can find different ways to take that intellectual property to the market, you know, you reach different people. Different people like to be introduced to you in different ways. Some people might hire me because they hear me speaking up in Montreal in a few days. Someone may hire me because they, they pick up my book and they read it and they like it. Someone might see one of my blog posts and then go to my website and look me up and may decide to work with me then. So it's, it's, you know, kind of a, as I said, kind of a holistic approach. Yeah. Do you have a formula you teach for writing blog posts that, you know, hit the mark? I believe that blog posts should be about one point, 500 to 800 words around one point. And one, a woman I admire in the speaking industry, her name is Glenna Salisbury, has an approach that I liked. In fact, I heard her speak about it at a convention and I ran home and wrote a blog post with her permission. And I used the, her an acronym, PSA, and it stands for point. What point do you want to make in this post? Then S stands for story. Tell me a story, write me a story that illustrates the point I'm trying to make. And then finally, A, application. Now apply that point in that story to me. So it's point story application. It's also that an acronym, by the way, also is a good way to approach writing a speech. Mm. 
it's what Glenna uses to write her speech. I loved it for writing blog posts because I think a common mistake is people make blog posts too long. They should be read in just a few minutes. People, if you really want them read, people don't want to spend a long time. In fact, if I go over 800 words, Angela, I make it a part one and a part two. When you're advising speakers on putting speeches together, let's say a one hour workshop, how many key points do you think they should have in that one hour? You know, that is a great question. I wish I could (laughs) answer it. Let me just say this. If we're thinking about the formula we were just talking about, it's hard for me to say because it depends upon how long your story is that you're using to make a point and how technical the point might be. But I think that a great way to approach a speech for speakers is to seek to make, seek to write down, for example, in approaching a speech, let's say, Angela, write down a dozen points that you think are important in your area of expertise that you want to communicate to an audience. Then think up the story for each one of those dozen. Think of a story. Hopefully it comes organically from you, but they all don't have to. They all don't have to. And then write why it will relate to the audience that you're going to speak to. Obviously, that's easier if you're a target marketer and you work most often in one specific market, but not always. Write a dozen of them and then get a timer and start speaking and see how many you can fit in. You might find that I can fit in eight for an hour. I can fit in 12 for 90 minutes and I need to have maybe 20 if somebody wants me to do a half day, which is typically three hours in our business is considered a half day. Six hours is considered a full day. So that might be, that might be an answer to your question. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you're starting with story. You know, you're, you're thinking about the key points, but then making sure that you have a story to back that up. Why is that? You know, I, that's a great question. I think that the difference between a public speaker or a lecturer, a public speaker and a lecturer, the difference between a professional speaker and those two is the professional speaker is assigned the task to make their points memorable, doable, and creative. And stories are the way that professional speakers make their points stick and become memorable. You might not remember, you know, taking a story that I do sometimes when I'm speaking, you might not remember about fee integrity, for example, that I'm talking about in a speech. If you hear my story of going to buy my red Buick a few years ago, you may well remember it. So these are just little things that make, I call, you know, I call stories the sugar that helps the medicine, the content go down. Hmm. (laughs) Makes sense. When you're helping your clients to go out and book gigs, do you have a system that you teach them or some sort of planning so that they can stay on track and not get distracted and overwhelmed? Well, you know, being distracted and overwhelmed is part of this business. (laughs) (laughs) So we should just that. If I said I was never distracted or overwhelmed, I'd be lying. But that said, you know, I think that unless you have, unless you build systems into your business, Angela, you're sunk. You've got to have good systems that are repeatable, that will keep you productive. 
because especially as someone who's a solopreneur, most of us in the speaking business are solopreneurs. I am. Now, I subcontract to some people for my accounting, not because I make so much money, but because I don't want to be stuck at tax time. I subcontract my website stuff to someone. I subcontract any computer issues I have to someone because I'm clueless about that. But I am my only full-time employee, except for my four-year-old yellow lab named Buddy, who I call Buddy the Intern, who's my chief of joyfulness and security guard. (laughs) But I think that systems are incredibly important to keep you on task. And I always say, you can't manage what you can't measure. So the kinds of systems that my clients use, and they're all outlined in make my, my book, Make Money Speaking, are my 10 questions I use to qualify. My 10 questions to qualify prospects, by the end of asking those questions, you should really know, you should be able to quantify whether I'm going to work for this person now, in the near future, or never. And then when, when you quantify, when you qualify someone, I actually have a system, well, exactly how interested are they? Are they, I call it a level one, a level two, or a level three interest, depending upon the answers to those questions. So I do believe in using systems and, and I teach them to my clients. And I think one of the reasons that a lot of my clients use them and like them, Angela, are because they're really pretty simple. They're not complicated at all. Because if they were, people wouldn't use them. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Can you share a couple of the questions from that list of 10? Yeah, I can. The first question or one of the questions is, who makes the decision as far as who you're going to hire to speak? Now, I, I will tell my clients who the most likely decision maker is, but I ask them to confirm that right away, just so we're not wasting any time with anybody talking to the wrong person. Next question, do you use paid professional speakers like me? So have they historically used someone? Because Angela, if they say, and I would run into this all the time, that they may say, you know, we have never used a professional speaker. We've used industry people who we don't pay. If they say that, the training I got in sales when I worked for United States Steel Corporation years ago was, well, I should say, well, Maybe you should think about using a professional and start pushing in. Now, what I say is, it doesn't sound like I'm a fit. Because the odds of them spending thousands of dollars on me to be the first person they ever bring in are pretty low. I say move on to greener pastures. Other question, who have you used in the past? That's a good market intelligence question. Do you have a specific date? Very important. And when do, you begin pl- when do you begin planning the meeting? Because those are going to be two different times. You want to be in front of the decision maker when they are in a planning mode. And if they are not, they're not interested in talking to you. So if, if you were a decision maker and I called you today and you said, well, Lois, we're having a meeting in November. And I said, Angela, when are you going to begin planning that? And you say, we're going to plan that in August. We're going to decide who's going to speak at it in August. What I would say to you right now is, why don't I back out the door and touch base with you in August when this is on the front burner? Let me tell you, you will be a hero to that person. Early, when I was working for my speaker, when I first got in the business, if you had a pulse in a meeting, I would not let you off the phone. (laughs) 
And so I'm telling you, I learned the hard way by failing, failing, failing until I learned what worked. You know, a couple of other questions. Is there a budget I should be aware of? I believe in bringing up money right away because it's a qualifier. If, if my fee is $5,000 and they say, well, you know, we're going to spend $1,000 on the meeting, I don't want to waste my time or waste their time in trying to make that fit. So budget is an important question. And then I always close any qualifying question with, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to know or you think I should know about you? And that's just kind of a closure question. But these If you know that they have money in their budget, they have your fee. If you know they have a meeting date, so it's actually going to happen. And if they seem motivated or interested in your topic, that's a very good prospect. I love that list. And I love that you bring up budget right away. Do you coach your speakers on how to price themselves? I do. You know, it's one of the hardest things that any of us in an intellectual property do, intellectual property business do. One of our hardest things is to put a price tag on the value of our intellectual property. But I'll tell you what I know. If you don't, others will, and they'll undervalue you at every time. So I do, you know, after doing this for 21 years now on my own and my own business, I have a good idea about where people should be fee-wise based on their topic, their market, and their experience. So I do share. And also when I do a two-day program with people, I do hourly consulting with a minimum, couple of hour minimum, but my bread and butter has always been my two-day programs. With my two-day programs, we end and I create an action list that includes visioning. For example, where your next speech fees should be the next time you raise them, that kind of thing, and when to think about it, and what are signs that you need to raise your fee. Oh, do you, can you share some of the signs? Yeah. I just had this conversation with a client I have on retainer yesterday, as a matter of fact. And he said to me, literally, he said, I think I need to raise my fee. And I said, why are you telling me that? And he said, well, I, I just feel like I'm traveling too much. I'm getting too many inquiries, interesting, meaning incoming calls, a problem we would all like to have. And I said to him, when you give them your fee, how many times do they balk or try and undercut your fee? How many times do they want you to negotiate? He said, I get my fee about 35% of the time. And I said, if you're getting your fee a third of the time, it's not time to raise it because 70% of the people are telling you they're not seeing your value. So you either are not making your case well, your positioning isn't strong, you're in the wrong market, or you need to wait a little while before you raise your fees. In this guy's case, I know him very, very well. He needs a little bit more experience and he needs to target market into one or two markets a little bit more. He's more of a generalist as far as markets go. And people are willing to pay more for expertise if it's in a given market. For example, if you speak on sales and you speak in the financial services industry a lot, people will pay more for a speaker with the, who has those two things going for them than one who speaks on sales to anybody and everybody. Can you share an example of a client who came to you and said, I have an idea or I have a system or something that I've created that I want to turn into a speech and figure out the best market to promote this to, you know, how that 
how you worked with that person and where they ended up? Well, the first, if, if someone came to me like that, the first thing I would do is tell them I don't write speeches. So I would refer them to somebody, a friend of mine in the business who can help them write a speech when they have their speech and they come to me with it to decide on a target market. There are a number of things that you want to look at. Number one, where does this person have past experience? Where have they worked? The person I was just relating to in the last comment had experience working for a credit union. In fact, he was VP of a credit union before he went out speaking. So financial services was an easy match to make for him. He had credibility, banks, credit unions, mortgage houses, mutual fund companies, stock companies, wealth management companies, accountants. They would all give him credibility for being in their industry. They'll think of him as an insider. So that really made so much sense for him rather than telling him, well, I think agriculture would be a good fit for you. So sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it isn't. And if someone doesn't have experience necessarily, I ask them, "Where where do you have any expertise and where have you gained the expertise? So that's how we decide. Okay. I love that. So this might be a tough question or maybe the answer will be tough, but what are some of the reasons you think some people don't make it in this industry? Oh, this is an easy question. <laughs> you know, I created a product, which I no longer sell, but it was called From Go to Pro, How to Get Started in Speaking. I created this. It was a CD a few years into my business. And you know what that program was? It was 50 minutes of me giving you every reason why you should not jump into this industry. And people said, what are you doing? (laughs) This is not a client magnet thing. And I said, you know what? When I get to the pearly gates, I never want to meet anyone who said, you know, you encouraged me to jump into professional speaking. And that advice sucked big time. (laughs) This is a very, very difficult business, as you know. We only get paid when we work. I just answered something on Facebook. In your early years of ramping up a speaking practice, you can expect to be doing sales and marketing 90% of the time, speaking 10% of the time. You work like hell for every opportunity. In fact, Shep, who I worked for when I first got started in this business, has my favorite quote in the business, Angela. It's not giving the speech. It's getting the speech. That's the hard part. And the people who don't make it typically are people who are not good at selling. And really, that's why I started my business. Because a lot of speakers are more creative types, and they just are not good at selling. Or they say, well, you know, I'm just not good talking about myself. And, you know, of course, my advice is, well, you need to get over that or get a new line of business. (laughs) Yeah. But that's one of the things I think that I can make anybody comfortable selling. Because I'm not a pushy salesperson. I, you know, when I used to sell my own speeches in the marketplace, I, after having a long, productive talk with a decision maker, the last thing I did not say was, what would it take to put you in this car today? (laughs) (laughs) You know, a closing, for example, a closing for me would be, so after looking at my material, talking about my experience, do you think it would make sense to bring me in? That's not pushy. Yeah. 
And so I feel like when I think selling intellectual properties is tough, but I think I can make people comfortable with it. I think that's a gift that I have, if you will. And that's why I started my business, because I discovered so many weren't good at it. And with my background in corporate marketing and sales, I kind of had a unique, you know, a good background to come in and be offering that service. Mm-hmm. Do you think every speaker should have a book? Great question. You know, something you know that not everybody listening here knows is I have a book coming out in a couple of months called The Speaker Author, Sell More Books and Book More Speeches. So the answer to the question, <laughs> I'd be an idiot if I, if I didn't say the answer to the question was yes. But, but let me just say this. I think that a book is a terrific thing for a couple of reasons, Angela. Number one, it is a deep dive into the value of your intellectual property, okay? It is obviously an ancillary, it's ancillary income for your business when you sell books. It's a great exercise in what do I know? It's a great exercise in putting together point, story, and application throughout your book. I also think that it primes the pump for every time that your book to do a speech, it primes the pump for you to be able to say after somebody says, Angela, if you said to me, okay, Lois, we're going to bring you in. I want you to send us an agreement. We're going to bring you in. And I, the thing I would say to you then at this point is, well, Angela, I can't wait to come in and speak to you people. But at this point, do you think it would make sense for everybody to be able to walk away with a companion book to my program? Because if we could make that happen, I could offer it to you at a good discount. So everyone can walk away with more information than I'll have time to give you. Now, that's a hard thing to say. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense. We're going to spend thousands of dollars on you, but we aren't interested in learning more, you know. And that technique, by the way, my clients use very, very successfully. So I think a book makes sense. The problem I have with books is when people come right out of the gate and write a book before they've even had platform time, before they've really put the rubber on the road as far as their intellectual property is and heard feedback on it. That's a great story or that one didn't resonate as much or that point is a key point for you and things that, that I think you need to know before you put pen to paper. So I like people to have a little bit of experience before they sit down and write a book on their, in their area. But a book is a great tool. Yeah. Tell me more about your, your new book coming out. Does that book teach you some of that? those steps it, to take? It does. I wrote this book with Kathy Fayok. And let me just say, I hired Kathy when I decided to write Book More Business, Make Money Speaking. She is well known in the National Speakers Association. And you know what? I hired, I said, Kathy, I want to hire you to do everything except write the book. I want you to find me a publisher, editors, graphic people, you know, get it copyrighted, get it on Amazon and Kindle and bookstores get me people to do the cover art, editing, everything, and keep me on task to get it done. And she is great at what she does. She is great at what she does. And people said, I, you know, I have to say, I was really, really thrilled with the feedback from that book. I have to tell you, I was very excited. Some people even said, when are you writing another book? And I said, never. Thanks for asking. <laughs> but it was grilling. I'm never doing And Kathy approached me and said, let's write a book together on the importance of books to a speaking practice 
and how you can leverage one from the other, how to sell books, how to use books to sell speeches, and how to use speeches to sell books. So that's really what that's about. And it does have a good chapter in it by Kathy on how to approach writing a book, which is what she does. She has workshops and and stuff to help writers that are fantastic. Hmm. I think she's extremely talented. That's why I agreed to do the book because it was Kathy who approached me and I, I think she's smart. So I'm, I'm anxious to see how this flies. Yeah. How can we find the book? Thanks for asking. Go, go on Amazon and it's called The Speaker Author. Sell more books, book more speeches. Right now it's in pre-sale on Kindle. I think in another month it'll be on, you know, both paperback and on Kindle for immediate delivery. I mean, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. But thanks for asking. Yeah, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So since you've worked with so many professional speakers, you mentioned that something that helps make them successful is the ability to sell themselves. Do you think there's one character trait that is consistent in all the successful speakers you've worked with? I do. Can I give you two? Yeah, we can do two. I think first and foremost is persistence. The ability to not give up when you hear a lot of no's, because you're going to hear a lot of no's before you get to a yes. And you have to learn not to take no's personally. You know, when I first started selling my sales speeches, every time I heard a no, I was like, I felt like a little tick, like a wound or something. And then I realized I got it in my mind. They are not, this is nothing personal. They're saying your topic is not a fit for me at this meeting. So I might ask, will this topic ever be a fit for you? And when would you like to hear from me to see when it might be a fit, okay? That's first and foremost, persistence. Keeping in touch with people. I never call anybody unless there's business to transact, but I keep in touch with them by email, social media, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, the ability to leverage well. And I think it's one of the things that a lot of people who are consultants and speakers don't do well. For example, I always tell my speaking clients, if you go to, think of a company, Anheuser-Busch, which is a big company here in St. Louis where I live. If you go to Anheuser-Busch and you do a great job, and I mean, they're cheering, they're giving you a standing ovation, they love you. You go back to your office and what you think is, wow, I can't wait to do that again. And instead of going to Google and looking, where can I do that again? You need to ask yourself this. Who are Anheuser-Busch's competitors? Who are their customers? Who are their retail customers? What associations do they belong to? Because if I was a fit at Anheuser-Busch Corporation, I may be a fit at a lot of their associations. So that's what I mean by leveraging. What of their competitors? This information worked for them. I ought to call Miller Brewing, Coors out in Colorado. Uh, The same thing for insurance companies. I did a program for a national meeting for state farm insurance. Right away, I was on the phone with their associations. And I was also on the phone with Prudential, MetLife, Humana, Columbia, Iser Permanente out west. And so that's what I mean by leveraging. You know, when you call somebody, if I called Kaiser Permanente right after I did State Farm, I would say, you know, I just came off doing an event for State Farm Insurance. And 
everybody, I got great feedback from, I'm not going to say I was really great, <laughs> but you want to say I received great feedback on that. And I'm wondering if you think that my program would be a good fit for you too, since it was for State Farm. I think you'll have a more productive conversation if you couch it in those terms. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Lois, you've given us so much to think about today, and I really appreciate all the advice and insights. Where can we follow you and get more information about you? Well, I think the best place is to go to my website, which is bookmorebusiness.com. And you can find my blog there. Sign up for my blog if you like what I have to say. I'm, I'm always blogging and have all of my past blogs there. And you can see all of my social media addresses are on there. I'm very active in social. So would love any, welcome anyone to connect who wants to. And I just want to thank you again. I'm, I'm real flattered you wanted to talk to me today. And, and I hope this has been helpful. Absolutely. And I love the content you put out on Facebook. You share your blogs, you share your insights, and it's just your observations are always right on. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you, Angela. There you have it. Today's guest mentor interview. Check out the show notes for links mentioned in this episode. If you're enjoying the series, please send a message to my guests to let them know and leave a review on iTunes to help more women find the show. The guest mentors five-part summer series is sponsored by Speaking School for Women, my signature online course that teaches you how to become a paid professional speaker in six weeks or less. Learn branding, marketing, speechcraft, pricing, pitching, and so much more. Now until August 31st, First, get 20% off using promo code SUMMER20 at checkout. Learn more at speakersisterhood.thinkific.com. Link is in the show notes. This series is also sponsored by Told Video, original thoughtful storytelling for your brand. Here to help you with your next step in speaker marketing, a meaningful video. Let your story out into the world and get it told. Follow Told Video on Instagram at Told Video for flash sales and discounts announced monthly. This podcast has been a production of the Speaker Sisterhood and was recorded at the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Learn more at speakersisterhood.com. Well, that does it for me, my friends. As always, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.